becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of credit. a dream that you to make real. Okay. Are we ready? We are so ready. To the shores. Cheers. Cheers. We missed the whole week. I know. We've been doing so badass with you every were, single week. You were on vacation last week. How was that? <laughs> no comment. No comment. Okay. No. Did, I, did I rat you out? <laughs> you rat me out. No, it was... Uh, it Sorry, was, Michael doesn't vacation. I don't vacation. He works constantly. <laughs> All the time. To all those listening. <laughs> No, it was, it was good. It was, it was fun with the kids and uh, Allison and just uh, get away. But yeah, always, good. always drama though. So. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't know what to do with myself last <laughs> week. This is like a, this has been a staple for almost two years. <laughs> it does. It, put a, it puts the pin in the week, you know? It's yeah. Like, oh, I've got this. It's sort of like a, a weekend in between all the, right, <laughs> all totally. the stuff. Well, it's pretty great that we still look forward to doing this after all this time. Isn't it crazy? I think we're close to 80 now almost. This is 80. This is episode 80. This is 80? Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. We're, as a podcast, we're an old man. I know. That's so badass. Well, the thing is, like, we, we have fun doing this. It's like, it's really not even, I mean, we love it that people listen to this, but. Yeah. <laughs> I read something that, uh, something like only 1% of podcasts get past 20 episodes. It might be more than that, but like, mm-hmm. based upon whatever this like statistic was we are definitely in like the top one percent of podcasts yes we made the one percent i was hoping i'd do that financially soon right. But. oh right <laughs> well maybe not far behind yeah, there we go <laughs> so if you'd like to donate we are getting wiser every week <laughs> <laughs> i didn't think about too is like you know um you know as some of the people that we've kind of followed and stuff like that that are professors and like <clears throat> like how much teaching has helped them to better express their ideas and more succinctly. And, and, uh, you know, even though you and I ramble on this a lot and are always kind of often deeper territory than we can swim in, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like, I do feel that I, over the last three years, it's like feel more confident or capable of, uh, kind of expressing ideas and thoughts and stuff like that, which is, which is really kind of fun to see. I feel like both of us have felt more and more comfortable mm. like having sort of almost any topic on the table during these conversations. Mm-hmm. Whereas more towards the beginning, we definitely had some topics that we were like, we're not going to like, we're not going to touch those. Like we had a blacklist of topics totally, and we don't anymore. We don't really. I mean, politics, I remember that was our, that was one of our big, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and religion I think was another one that we kind of didn't really right. get into. But yeah, we're, those are off the table now. <laughs> yeah, and I would say just the practice of doing this, mm-hmm. I think, has developed some confidence and some comfort with dealing with dealing with ideas that we may not know so well. Mm-hmm. So that's been that's been really fruitful. Yeah, it really has. <clears throat> you definitely see like why it's so important for uh, people to be able to to talk and to speak and to hear themselves speak. And to formulate ideas, whether they're right or wrong, you know, to be able to hear themselves express it and say, well, wait a minute, do I really believe that? <laughs> or, or how much of that do I really believe? Absolutely. You know, I think you and I have found ourselves in that situation on the podcast many times of, yeah, wait, is that what I mean? I don't know. That sounds weird. Well, I think you get more comfortable mm-hmm. 
like the more you articulate your ideas, hmm. the more comfortable you are with being wrong, I think. Hmm. Well, we'll contrast that with, I mean, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if you'd call it ideologues, you know, where, and that's the thing I, I've, I've always thought about too in this situation is like you get too entrenched in an idea that you, you somewhat almost have to defend it to the death. You know, mm-hmm. say like I make mm-hmm. money off of this certain formula, you know, well, actually that formula is not, it was great then, but it's not as great now. It's something that maybe we've moved past, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, Newtonian, uh, um, was it Newtonian me- me- mechanics versus like Einstein's theory of relativity right. and stuff. Right. It's like, well, it's useful in this space, but it's not really useful anymore mm-hmm. in this other space, you know? And like, if you don't allow yourself to be shaped and molded by the conversation, then you could get stuck in a ideologue, like almost like in a, uh, I kind of almost see Fauci in that situation right now. Like the, like he's kind of been a proponent of a certain viewpoint. Uh, you know, again, telling three year olds, they need a mask where they have like almost no, you know, uh, like the risk to a three year old is so, so slim. Right. That's it's, it's almost like ridiculous. Statistically almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he definitely has fallen into sort of like a repetitive style. Like you don't really need to hear what he has to say because you already know what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which to me I find it a bit staggering that he still seems to be useful. Yeah, at least to those who would continue amplifying his voice for that reason, though. Well, it's almost like he's not he's not Fauci anymore. Like he's he's an idea of Fauci. You know, like the, mm. like he symbolizes uh, a sort of like a safety, you mm. know, like I want to be safe. So I'm going to follow this person, you know, mm. almost like a, a Christ figure. So or they like keep, that. I want to continue hearing the thing that makes me feel safe. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I guess this is your point about defending ideas to the death or feeling like you need to, because at that point, it stops mattering whether what is being said is true mm-hmm. because what is it's being said not for its utility as truth, but for its utility to confirm your, your safety or mm-hmm. your preexisting or prestige too. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're known for something and then all of a sudden that you maybe don't believe that anymore, it's like, you know, you could lose a lot of followers and prestige, you know, it's like, so it's, you're safer to, almost keep proposing or be a proponent of those ideas that you are, that kind of got you there. You, I mean, know? you see that in other arenas too. Like hmm. just thinking about like, you know, it's a big uproar when Dylan went electric. Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he, he came up with something that was wildly popular. This, this one particular voice mm-hmm. in this one particular style and people wanted more of it. And he said, I'm going to do something different and it really upset people. Yeah. Because they'd gotten used to what they, like the comfort and love, it becomes nostalgic and people want to continue being fed more of that. Mm. I've heard that said about Eric Clapton too. I don't know much about that. Yeah. I don't know much about Clapton's history, but I mean, he's certainly like from the days of cream to, you know, would you know my name Mm -hmm. if I saw you in heaven? (laughs) Some vibe changes. Uh That's fascinating. There's, there's so many different areas in that space as far as like, uh, 
being an ideologue and, and being a proponent of your ideas, whether they're true or false, but more out of, uh, could be even a desperation to continue to stay in the limelight or to receive funding or to, mm-hmm. um, you know, in any number of things and, and how that can, uh, what's well, such a corruption mm-hmm. <laughs> of your soul. It seems like, you know, to not be able to like shift and mold. I mean, even Democrats and Republicans, you know, it's like you might not follow all that Democrats, you know, believe in or Republicans for that matter. Um, but there's a certain amount that you have to sort of allow to stay in the group, you know, and the more restrictive that becomes, the harder it's, it is to stay within that group. You know, um, I think you're, you see Eric Weinstein really struggling with that too. He's like, no, I'm a Democrat. I'm a progressive, Mm -hmm. but all you guys are crazy over here. (laughs) Yeah. And well, and when he starts genuinely questioning and seeking the truth you have conservatives saying, Hey, I think you might actually be a conservative mm-hmm. and Democrats saying you're, um, you know, you're, you're far right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're far right. And he's like, no, <laughs> none, none of that is true. Yeah. 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 He well, that's a hard place to be. Like we don't, we don't function very naturally when we are dispossessed, especially on sort of like two opposite ends of a spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you, you are naturally pulled maybe via social socialization to be like those around you. Mm -hmm. Well, we all need that too. I mean, even, uh, you know, you know, punk rock, you know, well, it's like you still have a, you're still a community around that, Mm -hmm. you know, and they still are, there's a certain acceptance. Yeah. Even though the, the community is initiated on individuating itself from what is traditional and saying, you know, look at us, we're loud, we're different, we're abrasive. But then a community forms within that. Mm -hmm. Which is, which is necessary because we're relational and communal Mm -hmm. and in nature, you know, and so even as we individuate, Mm -hmm. exactly. Right. And so somehow we, we have to be able to hold those two things, um, with some tension, you know, in our lives, it's like, you can't be completely an ideologue, you know, or, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Completely give in to whatever group think that you're a part of, you know, but at the same time, it's like, you can't also be a com- an individual that's not a part of a group, or mm-hmm. a, a community of some sort. It's like, you just won't, you won't thrive. You won't have anybody to push back or you don't have a foundation to sort of like, uh, jump from, you know? Yeah. It's kind of back to the idea of like the practice of articulating your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, there's the biblical analogy of iron sharp as iron sharpens iron man sharpens the man. Something about that is, you know, if I am alone, I can't really hone my thoughts Mm -hmm. because I need something to hone them on Hmm. or against. It's like, I need to try to articulate them to another individual so I can actually figure out what the thoughts even are. Mm. Yeah. We need to contend with each other. Right. There's a certain amount of healthy and that's what society is supposed to provide us is a healthy place to contend with each other. Yeah. And laws provide that sort of structure to contend. But if you take out the contending part of it, it seems that, you know, (laughs) you think you're just sheep. (laughs) 
that does seem to be a feature of our modern culture right now is, is there isn't much, is it right to say contention or would you say contending? Contending, I would say. Con- Contin- there's lots of contention. contention yeah. <laughs> uh, well, <coughs> and I, th- I, I think what you see instead is a lack of contending and that's being replaced with a simply a moral judgment. Mm-hmm. I don't even need to contend with you because you're mm-hmm. so morally wrong that you shouldn't even be contended with. Yeah. Um, well, Ibram Kennedy's kind that. of doing that. He's like, he's like, he won't debate some of the some right. people that are within his field right. because it's like, you're not worthy. Well, and I wanted to ask earlier, how can you tell if you have stumbled into ideological thinking? Hmm. And maybe that's the answer is at the point you are unwilling to contend with those around you mm-hmm. and content to so- simply say, if you disagree with me, you're morally wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, perhaps you are in the grips of an ideology. Yeah. I'd almost want to frame it even more extreme just to kind of get the, well, it's like, again, I think just you look at the election, you know, it's like where, half of America is seen as, you know, deplorable, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, well, even that that word was used and then popularized is yeah. saying something. Mm-hmm. And I think one side would like to say, well, it's saying that one side is obviously deplorable mm-hmm. and that's the problem. Yeah. Or if you're this color, this is, this encapsulates you and you think this way, it's like, there's a, it's like, I think anytime we get into that sort of thinking of general is over generalizing because there are certain things that, I mean, the generalizations are very helpful, you know, but it's like, it's almost like when you start using the word all instead of some, hmm. you know, like some, but are like this. Yeah. Some are like that. You know, like when you say like all or every time or never, or when you say you're always like this mm-hmm. in a fight with your spouse or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That, that's never a good thing. <laughs> right. So like I think we've said before, that's always a red flag. Something's mm-hmm. off mm-hmm. with your, with your argument. Yeah. You're not actually arguing about that thing anymore. Mm-mm. There's something else deeper. Yeah. <clears throat> I think also if you're not willing to ask like, well, why do you think that? Like, t- mm-hmm. tell me why, why you think I'm wrong, you know, or why do you disagree with me? You know, and, and invite, if you don't invite that, I think that's also, that also can kind of tell you that you're a part of an ideal ideology or, a, um, right. Ideologue or whatever. Right. Like if you feel like you need to defend your ideas on moral grounds mm-hmm. or that the consequence of defending your ideas is life or death somehow. I think that might be a sign that you're, you're locked into some, some ideology. And I see that as really prevalent right now. Mm-hmm. These sort of calls of life or death <clears throat> and moral superiority or inferiority mm-hmm. um, about very, to me, seemingly arbitrary things. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, what's going on with all of the talk of voter suppression and what's happening in Texas with this voting rights bill and the Democrats 
all the Democratic legislature in Texas literally getting on a plane and flying away to D.C.'s to deny a quorum mm -hmm. to discuss the bill. Um, and then you have all this language even coming from President Biden about how this is the most serious attack on democracy since the Civil War. Like, this is really, really extreme rhetoric to be talking about something which to me seems a bit arbitrary. Like, you know, what's at the root of this or the, the center of this voter ID? It's like, okay, like you could like it or not like it. We could talk about that. Yeah. But to be talking about it as if this is a, like equivalent to the civil war is absolutely insane. Well, it's like, they don't really, <clears throat> they're not addressing the, the particulars of the bill. You know, it's like, again, I'm like, I don't know the particulars either, <laughs> but it's like, I know one thing is just one thing people are up, been up in arms about is like having an ID. It's like, that's kind of just standard for us in the United States. Mm -hmm. I mean, anybody can go get an ID. It's, there's not a, there's nobody standing at the door, not allowing somebody of a certain race or religion mm -hmm. to get an ID. It's like, maybe that, maybe we do more education on how to get IDs, you know, it's like, but, but we're not like, they're not, they're not addressing the, the ideas being proposed. It's more of like, they're making a generalization that, almost has nothing to do with the law that's being well. And I think that's my point is this. I don't, it doesn't seem to me like this is a sort of, let's say good faith argument about a law. Mm -hmm. It seems like the law is be, the, the proposed bill mm -hmm. is being used as a shoehorn to get into another discussion. Mm -hmm. It's like, you want to pass this voter ID. Great. I can use this to explain to everyone why you're so racist and, and deplorable. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and the same thing happens in the reverse from, you know, the right to the left. Totally. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, what's so maddening and so tiresome to me mm -hmm. is like to look around at the, for some, for, for, um, the cultural zeitgeist to sort of look around at the world and say, I want to make these grand sweeping accusations about large groups of people. So let me look around and figure out what issues I can use to shoehorn that statement into this declaration. And then absolutely <coughs> like not allow any response to that because I know exactly that I'm right. Or even just to conflate the civil war with this. I mean, the Civil War was horrific. Well, I think that's why you can do that, though, mm -hmm. and it will be accepted by people because people, the, to, the point is not the bill, and mm -hmm. the point is not the completely ridiculous comparison between the bill and the Civil War or Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. The point is the larger point that they're trying to make, and everyone who wants that point to be made is completely fine with that point being made, like regardless of rhetorical device or trueness of argument, mm -hmm. they're just happy that the point is being made. And mm -hmm. so they can be like, well, you know, yeah, this is as bad as the civil war. That's how bad this is. It's how bad these people are. Well, it just seems so dangerous when you start conflating things in that way, as far as like comparing this to the civil war, you know, is there things you can disagree with in it? Maybe there's some things that need to not be in that bill, you know, okay, discuss and let's, let's work through the particulars of what that is. But it's dangerous in that, you know, what if, what, what if we, when do we, when we actually do face a crisis like World War II, you know, because I think that kind of gets into the, the, that extreme that we're sort of speaking against right now is, you know, no, there's somebody who, 
uh, is wanting to basically enslave the whole world to this third Reich, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there was, there was an actual reaction and almost a, a, a righteousness and a moral high ground in, in, in defending against that. Mm-hmm. But when you conflate something that is not at that degree, it confuses people. You know, it's like, what if, what if we actually did face something of that degree? You know, are you going to listen? It's like the boy who cried wolf, you know? Or how would you know that there was something of that degree to begin with? Yeah. If you've sort of called everything that, mm-hmm. how do you identify it? Yeah. Yeah. If like, yeah, if, every, if everything's white supremacist, white supremacy, it's like, well, how do you really identify when there really is white supremacy? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, or, or racism and stuff like that. It's just like, you just conflate so many things. I've said conflate quite a few times. Yeah. <laughs> when you conflate conflation Confl- with <laughs> the idea of conflating, <laughs> but, get, well, yeah. you get nowhere and that's the point. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, again, I think just being able to like, we need to be able to wrestle with these ideas and to not be so, um, dogmatic or dramatic about what you think or how you believe something is should occur or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it's like right. we need to be able to think and, and walk through ideas without people throwing everybody into a certain group or, or bus just because you might disagree with, on a point or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. Um, I don't know if we want to jump all the way into this right now, but just the idea of like what, uh, Israel means is to wrestle with God. You know, it's like there's this part that we need to be able to wrestle with things, like mm. contend with things. Like there's a healthiness for it. You know, even like, um, you know, uh, just think of like a, a son wanting to, to like, or, or your child to yell at their parents. You know, it's like, it's like that's a safe place for them to contend with because when they go out in the real world, and they yell at somebody or contend with them. It's like there can be very drastic or dramatic consequences, you know? Yeah. But it's important for kids to have that at home to be able to contend with their parents. I know parents are like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, like, right. it's like, why are we always contending? But it's like, it's actually really healthy for them because they're in a safe <laughs> place and they can experience that pushback. Right. You know, it's like... It's, instead of getting punched in the face or shot or stabbed or whatever it might be, they might just get grounded or. <laughs> right. It's an interesting concept that's come up for me several times in the last number of years is that, in which I've seen something different in that, um, you know, in times when I have had people who are close to me, um, both my children and, and peers who are, are angry at me, for reasons that maybe seem um, unjustified or misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I think some people have pointed out to me that, you know, maybe it's because you're safe to be angry at. Hmm. And that's a good thing. Yeah. I think that's, that is exactly what you're describing. Um, you know, with children yelling at their parents, like maybe it's because they're angry and you're safe Mm -hmm. and okay, well that really reframes it for me. 
And maybe I don't need to be defensive. Maybe I need to say, yeah, be angry. Yeah. Well, especially like when you also create clear boundaries for them, you know, it's like, it's safe because they know that, okay, we're within these four walls, you know, it's like, okay, there's a point to where that is, you're no longer being, you're being disrespectful, you know? So it's like, you need right. to be able to learn that. It's like, it's like, no, we need to contend. You can tell me how you feel. You can, you can yell at me if you need to, but at some point it's like, okay, Hey, no, you need to kind of go to your room and calm down. Right. You know, it's like, and having that sort of like to put that boundary, but it's like, but if we don't allow that too, as parents, that contention, it can, it can also lead to unhealthiness in their, uh, in their development, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it's hard for us parents because we're tired. We've gone, we've been working or, you know, taking care of the kids all day or whatever it might be. And right. it's like, it might be easy just to dismiss them, but it's actually a healthy part of development, but also the part of also developing clear boundaries, you know, right? which is supposed to be our government supposed to do that too. As far as like, you know, we need to have these discussions. We have these areas that we have, um, defined to have these discussions and back and forth. And, um, but if we start not listening to the other side and contending with them, because I mean, again, it's like, I can't tell you even people I've disagreed with on things, they've made me realize either more, more things within my point of view Mm -hmm. Or even challenge the things that I thought I believed in a lot more strongly than I actually did. Right. Yeah. And if you do that, if you do that forthrightly, Mm -hmm. your position is going to become stronger, whether it confirms your position or Mm -hmm. breaks it down and then forces you to build, build it back up in a different way. Totally. It will strengthen. It's Mm -hmm. it's the only outcome Mm -hmm. is, is that your position will be strengthened if you, if you engage in that wholeheartedly in good faith and perhaps I would say humbly Mm -hmm. because you have to be willing for part of your, part of your position to, to crumble. Mm -hmm. And that, that has to not be deadly to you. Totally. Well, even like, uh, I think there's also part of like, depending on your personality, like I think certain personalities need to come approach it with more humility, you know, and other personalities, need to be more contentious, mm-hmm. you know, someone who's a little bit more docile, mm-hmm. you know, maybe speak up and say something that's not right or not good, you know? So that well, yeah, can, I think that goes back to the idea of like uh, being someone who is safe to be angry with, mm-hmm. like to speak up, as you say, more contentiously mm-hmm. and to speak up and speak something that you fear might be wrong. Mm. Like you want to be, you want to be doing that in an exchange with someone who, with whom that is safe to do. I think about a, a, a romantic relationship, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of incentive for people to be too quick to, let's say, turn the other cheek mm-hmm. or to not express being hurt. Mm-hmm. Like I imagine, you know, if you're in a romantic relationship and this person says something to you that really hurts you and you think, I just need to leave. Like I feel really injured and I need to leave. Mm -hmm. And you might not do that because you might think if I leave, this person might not stay, Mm. you know, this person, I might not have a person to come back to. So I better, I better 
hide away and encapsulate some of that pain such that I can maintain to stay such that I can keep the relationship. Totally. And really you want, wouldn't it be so much better though, is if you could act for lack of a better word, naturally, mm-hmm. and you were safe to do that, mm. even if it was wrong, even if you act, you leave, and then you come back and you say, that was a mistake, I shouldn't have done that. Mm. I regret doing that, it wasn't kind to you, it, I thought it's what I needed, but it wasn't. But, but, I, but you're able to do that because you're safe to know that that person will be there when you return. Mm. So like safe to be contentious, safe to say what you know is, or, or you suspect might be wrong, but you can't figure out if it's wrong unless you act on it or unless you articulate it. Maybe that seems so rare. <clears throat> yeah. But it seems like, well, shouldn't you be hoping for that or, or attempting to build relationships in which things could be that way? Like it's mm-hmm. like, it might be an ideal, mm-hmm. but it's an ideal worth orienting toward. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Let me just throw this out here. It's a little bit of a pushback on that. And I don't think, I don't think you're going this far with it, but, um, I do think there's like, there's a certain amount of responsibility that you have, uh, in how you express and contend with other people, you know? Um, <laughs> do you know yeah. where I'm going with yeah, this? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like, Cause I, I want to say like, just like there's, there's a part of understanding, you know, I mean, as a business owner, you know, it's like, and how I interact with people, you know, it's like you, you kind of like hash out things in different spheres in different ways, you know, um, just because context really does matter as far as how, when you're making decisions or working through something, it's, it's like you can't work through like a, a business idea with a hundred people. You know, it's like it's just it's just too too difficult, and you're working with too many perspectives and things that are people co- coming to the conversation with. You know, so you do need those smaller circles that you can work things out that are a little bit further out on the horizon that are uncertain. You know, but as that certainty becomes a little bit more um, manifest it's like you can kind of widen that circle and that's when those things, that's kind of like a sharpening happens as you manifest that out to larger and larger circles, you know, but it's like, you kind of need to surround yourself with people that you trust Mm -hmm. that will contend with you and challenge you. But it does seem like that circle needs to be somewhat small, you know? Yeah. Well, like, let's not forget we're just, we're talking about safety and, well, safety in the context of a relationship, which is mutual. And you can't have a relationship with everyone, you know? <laughs> so, well, and, I have 150 and, followers. So. <laughs> and the, the extreme version of the example that I gave is yeah. sort of like, wouldn't it be nice if I could just do whatever the hell I wanted to do at all times mm. and always be welcomed back? Mm-hmm. Well, that's no longer a relationship. Sorry. Yeah. So it, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... It's perhaps as all things are paradoxical in the sense that if you, if you push it to it, it's extreme, it becomes perverse. Mm, totally. That makes sense. Whereas I think that is only good. That sort of return and safety is only good. If you can also say, you know, in the times when this is true, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done what I did. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have left because yeah. I was angry. 
I should have, you know, perhaps told you all the things that I was angry about, even though it felt like that was too much or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thus, I think that strengthens the, the relationship such that the next time something like that happens, you don't feel the need to leave. And you say, I'm fucking pissed and here's all the reasons why. And almost none of them are relevant to why we're, why you hurt me in the first place. But we got a bunch of unintended <laughs> uh, un, uh, to in injuries here, yeah. you know, uh-huh. but you need a relationship that's strong enough to handle that. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you develop that? It's like, well, it's, it's through some mutual safety, mm-hmm. some mutual, um, willingness to contend I guess ideally it'd be a little bit all along the way. So it's not mm-hmm. like, like, you know, you kind of, you, cause I mean, you will have, you will have the blowouts, you know, but if you've done this a little bit along the way, even in a blowout, it's not as dramatic as, you know, 30 years of pent up, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's like anger or resentment or whatever it might right. be. That just goes, <laughs> Yeah it does seem like there's, there's, there's a need to, it's almost like a, maybe that's why therapy. So such a, uh, a great, you kind of do that along the way, like a what? weekly or monthly checkup or something like that, like a dentist. <laughs> well, I think actually one of the core reasons that therapy is helpful mm-hmm. is that that idea of safety is contractual. Oh yeah. And, you know, there is no, and because what, which is what makes it different than having a conversation with a friend mm-hmm. is that you go to sit down to therapy and there is no, sorry, you went off the rails. We can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly that maybe does happen, but yeah. it's like, I'm paying you to contend with me and you specifically and paying you specifically because that takes it, it, it takes the place of that developed safety, I think, in a relationship. Mm. And it makes it transactional. And I think that word maybe threatens to um, diminish this, but I don't think that it does. I think that it actually serves a really important purpose in that therapeutic relationship. Would you say in the therapeutic relationship, you're, not, you're really just contending with yourself? And the the therapist seems to be more, yeah. refle- more reflecting back to you. It's like almost like a it's like someone outside your head that's reflecting back to you what you're struggling with. It's almost like you're contending with yourself, but with somebody else in the room. <laughs> I think I think that's a fine description. It, I yeah. think it depends on the type of therapy mm. and the therapist. That's true. Yeah, individually, but. Well, I think uh, maybe that's why we need, it's like, it just can't happen in therapy. It needs to happen in the, in the real world where there's actually live, uh, <laughs> live ammo, live ammo. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Cause you can, you can say the wrong things and they're not paid to understand that that was maybe said a little bit wrong. <laughs> well, that's, what's interesting is I think you can say the wrong thing in a therapeutic relationship and actually not know that it's wrong or not know the full wrongness of it. Mm. Like you don't really know that something's wrong until you see the, dis- or the extent to which it's wrong until mm. you see the destruction that it can do. <laughs> and you kind of need that live ammo situation in a real relationship, whether that's with a family member or a romantic partner or a colleague, mm-hmm. you know, to see something of you come out and, see 
the way that the person's face contorts. Hmm. Yeah, they kind of you, mirror you know, you, or reflect back to you. Yeah. yeah. To see the to see the change in the soul through their eyes. Hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh shit. <laughs> that was that was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know it's wrong. And this isn't like a it's not a moral ethical statement. It's like I know it's wrong because I see the response and that response reflects like it makes me feel bad. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. I don't want that response, whether that's for you or for me or for the social setting or whatever. It's like there was something wrong about that. Mm-hmm. And I know it because I feel that feedback. Mm-hmm. Well, what a, I mean, I, just kind of carry along with that, that line. Uh, what if you like you, you're saying something and something's reflected back to you in a way that it ha- it's not really it's not really what it's not you and how you're saying it, but it's actually that other person and what they believe. Mm-hmm. And they're reflecting back to you a horrific when it's actually not horrific or, um, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you can tell the difference <clears throat> between someone responding to something that you said responding to the idea that you've conveyed mm-hmm. responding specifically to that input. And then the difference, difference between that, that and someone responding from something else within them. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we do that, but we can tell the difference. Yeah. And when you see somebody responding, it's like, Whoa, I'm getting back. I, I put something out and I'm not just seeing the response to that. I'm seeing the response to something mm-hmm. larger than that or adjacent to that, or, you know, there's, there's more here Yeah, and it might be them and it might be me. I don't know. And at that point it becomes mm. a question mark and I, and that's when, you know, it can be easy to say, Whoa, let's, a, let's drive around that one, mm-hmm. you know, detour, or you can explore that. Yeah. You're to explore that kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Something's there. Let's get into Let's it. Get, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's, well, I mean, so let's, let's, let's kind of go, th- let me just kind of like run through a little bit here. Like, so there's this part of like, like we contend with ourselves, like trying to understand and figure out what we think, um, what we believe, how we're going to interact in the world. And then there's a contending that we do with others, you know, where, you know, you have a close familial relationship. Your first interaction is most of the time with your parents, you know, uh, and that, that more serious contention, you know, and then with your friends, it's kind of that next circle out, you know? Uh, and then as you keep moving out, it's like you start encountering more abstract ideas, like, like you, you, I think you can get pretty easily like, Oh me, I'm contending with myself. Cause you have to deal with your thoughts and your ideas and all these things that are kind of going on with you, uh, your parents, because they've been around forever and you've kind of do it naturally, you know, almost like, um, instinctually, you know? Uh, and then with your friends, it's kind of another, that next layer, but there's still like, you can always, you, always, you can always go back to your house, you know, mm-hmm. and, or just not go see your friends or something like that. If you have a, a, a argument or whatever, but as you get older, it's like, you start working, it's like these, these things start to get more and more abstract as you get further and further out of the more intimate relationships. Um, 
And then I think too, as far as like, uh, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm gonna jump all the way here, but, uh, well, I mean, even I saw like, and sapiens and a few other books I've read is like, like evolutionary wise. It's like, as that community grows about 150, there's a certain, that's kind of almost as abstract as we can really do. Um, like you at, can't maintain more than 150 relationships. 150 relationships yeah. yeah. And, and again, that sort of dilutes as it goes further and further out, you know? Um, but then we start seeing thinking of like <laughs> concepts such as like cities, states, nations, mm-hmm. international. It's like these thoughts and ideas get pretty abstract, you know? Um, and I think that's why, like, you know, again, kind of coming back to the Nietzschean sort of, I heard this explanation of it that was interesting the other day. I think it was, oh, is Verveke and uh, Peterson were talking about it. It's like uh, when, when uh, Nietzsche says, like, you know, God is dead, it's like he wasn't talking to the, the believers directly. And I, I need to go back and look at this, but when he said it, just kind of put a different spin on it. <coughs> but he was actually talking to atheists, like, like sort of like, if God is dead, what do we do? You know, it's like, if we don't have something that is, that we're contending with, that is on that sort of like level of contention, like a God is, it's like, who, who, who or what are we contending with? You know? And like, what, and what problems that that will, um, sort of, uh, do you think he was responding to the atheists and saying, have you really thought through the ramifications of your, of your statement? Mm-hmm. If there is no God, it's not simply there's no God. So you can just remove that. Yeah. You could just, you know, delete that part mm-hmm. and everything's good. Mm-hmm. He's saying there's some serious consequences to that. Yeah. There's some really serious consequences. And again, I'm not sure exactly if, if, if that is true. It's just that that interpretation kind of just struck me as a really interesting hmm. uh, read of that statement. Uh, and I don't feel like it's too far off from the truth, but, um, but it, it, it is fascinating. Like, because we have a desire, we need to contend. Like, even what we were talking about earlier, it's like, what happens when we take care of food, shelter, water, internet, (laughs) you know, it's like whatever it might be to provide us with somewhat of comfort. It seems like we're always contending for something else or something more. It's like, we're never satisfied where like, you know, 500 years ago, you gave people clothing, clean water and food on a regular basis. It's like, that's like heaven almost, you know, it's like, that's like, that's like almost absurd of Mm -hmm. how, but especially in the West today, we take those three things specifically for granted, you know, it's like, but we're always, we find ourselves always contending for something or against something when in perspective, it's like, wow, we really have it really good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a really truly fascinating problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, having much, is a fascinating problem to have. And it is very much a problem to have, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the thing you're driving at here is things tend to matter to you on a priority based level, mm-hmm. you know, and this is, um, 
perhaps partly biological. For instance, if you injure your, yourself in a high adrenaline situation or a high danger situation, you will likely not detect that you've been injured until you're out of the dangerous situation, mm -hmm. you know, and that's probably a really good thing because yeah. if you did, you might not get out of the dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. So your body sort of deprioritizes the pain response to a, you know, even to like a broken leg or something, mm -hmm. you know, until you have the, the, the safety to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So the things that matter to us, even at that level, they, they matter. They have to be prioritized. <clears throat> so if you, if you take so much of our needs and move them from a category of you need to strive to meet these needs to these needs are basically a given. Mm -hmm. Like, as you said, I don't, I have never, well, maybe only a couple times in my life have I ever had to think about where the water that I need to live is going to come from mm -hmm. or whether or not it's going to be available. Um, and those have been like on, you know, long, uh, hiking trips mm -hmm. where you have to, you know, find water and then filter it. Yeah. You know, so it's like, that's totally taken care of and pretty much the same for food and shelter and clothing and, you know, even things such as electricity and mm -hmm. internet, like things we didn't even have categories for not that long ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. So all of these things, which used to essentially orient our, our, our tasks, our thoughts, um, if those are all given, then, then, what is it that we do exactly? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what do you, what are you oriented toward at all? Well, and, and, and I don't, and I don't think an answer of like, well, whatever you want to do, yeah, it's like, that's say, not sufficient yeah. mm -hmm. because you are far too fickle to uphold, you know, just whatever it is that you want to do. You need something to submit yourself to so that when you want to fuck off and go, you know, get drunk by the pool, you have something which says, no, then you're not, you're not sufficiently moving toward this other goal. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you would just be drunk by the pool all day. And, you know, not too long into that, you'd be like, this is not a life worth living. And so you need something that orients you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's much more difficult for individuals or society at large to orient themselves at all when almost everything is taken care of. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the point. It's like, if God is dead, do you realize the magnitude of, of that? Mm -hmm. Like if there isn't something essentially beyond articulation left in the symbolic that you must submit to or orient yourself toward, then what will you do? Mm. Like it's, it, it's really difficult to say what you would do. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just not that imaginative, I think. <laughs> you know, and you could say, you, I mean, certainly people have come up with things, right? Like Elon Musk is going to get people to Mars. And that's probably a sufficiently large goal that he can spend his entire life on it. Mm -hmm. He might actually accomplish it within his lifetime. And then mm -hmm. what the fuck's he going to do? <laughs> That'd be really interesting to see, you uh, know? Well, I think that's the part, too, is like having a goal that's sufficiently large enough that you might 
may or may not accomplish, you know? Um, well, I think it's almost like you, you have to have a goal that is sufficiently large enough that you cannot mm. accomplish it. I mean, otherwise sense. you're, you're really screwed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've talked about this in a number of different ways. Like it's also applies to like mission statements for corporations. Mm-hmm. You know, you need, oh, yeah. if you make your mission statement, like super specific, then you reach that mission, then what? Well, you no longer have a mission statement. Mm -hmm. You know, you no longer have anything to move. You're no longer moving. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, definitely have to have something that's, that's big enough to commit your life to. I mean, I think that's why, like, uh, again, just why we can't get, can't actually get rid of God. Like that's, it just makes so much sense to me. It's like, that's, that's something that is so large that you can't, uh, you could never actually come to full comprehension within your lifetime, you know? And that's like, that's like has to do with like meaning of life. Why am I here? What am I doing? Am I conducting myself in a, in a manner that is in, in relation to this greater principle, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things like whenever you, you know, you read a book and then you come back and read it again. I think Verveke was talking about this. And it's like you've lived a certain amount of life and you've come back and read this book and you're like, oh my gosh, what was that? I didn't even see that last time. Hmm. And it's, it's sort of like, like we, we see, we come back when we contend with life in these greater and bigger principles that we come back to things and see things in a new way that I think if you don't contend with things on that scale, and I think, I think God is a sufficient scale <laughs> yeah. for that, 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 you become very myopic in how you view and see the world. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if you see the world only through race, that's all you're going to see. But the world is a lot bigger than race. You know, it's like, and just because you're a certain color doesn't mean you fit into a certain category mm-hmm. or way of thinking or, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's, 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 it's so, so myopic that, it's just a, it's very limiting. And I think, I think it'll be, it's, it'll be very frustrating to be able to, um, not have a, a, a wider view of things for lack of a better answer. Yeah. Yeah. Myopic means nearsighted, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Myopic, small. I'm not sure that that's the right word. Yeah. Uh, my, th- my phone's <laughs> <laughs> well my, it's just it's such a well yeah. it's, to me it's such a it's such a strange thing to do like this identity politics thing is such a strange thing to do because it sort of simultaneously says everyone is worth celebrating which would be like potentially the the micro Mm-hmm. It's like every individual, mm-hmm. but it also simultaneously will say that only based upon group identity, mm-hmm. which is sort of the macro and it, and it immediately 
reneges on the first statement and it says, well, what's important about you Mm -hmm. is your sex or your gender identity or your skin color or um, whatever. Well, I think it's myopic because of that, because it's only focusing on a aspect rather than on the all, all the things that make up an individual, like an individual has, you know, social economic, you know, uh, upbringing, uh, whether you had parents or no parents, an orphan, what city, what state nation you grew up in. I mean, there's so many <laughs> variables mm-hmm. that if you just only like, I don't like, okay, anybody I see what from, you're you know, uh, Sam Marcus, <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, what, what, why? Like that, was, yeah. that, that makes no sense. Have you, you met know? everybody in San Marcos? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I went to school in San Marcos. Well, it's, it's, it's actually kind of back to one of these, um, things we said earlier about how almost everything when sort of taken to some extreme becomes perverse because exactly. it's a completely valid thing and useful thing to say, you know, I really don't like people from San Marcos mm-hmm. as using that as an example, yeah. not a real <laughs> statement, but you know, we all know like a general kind of person that comes from a general kind of place and it's useful mm-hmm. to be able to like have categories like that, yeah. but taken to its extreme, it's extremely bigoted. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to be able to strike some, some balance between well, useful communication mm-hmm. and well, bigotry, which isn't, well, this is the other thing is I think we think of bigotry as being like really hateful towards someone. Mm-hmm. I think it's as damaging as if, if not more damaging to the individual who has the myopic viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Like that person is not engaging in the real world. That person is not enga- is, is, is immature yeah. and needs to mature. Mm-hmm. It isn't necessarily like, I don't think that bigotry is necessarily like predicated on hate. Mm-hmm. Like it can be predicated on, on all sorts of things, immaturity or ignorance Ignorance's being yeah. two others. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a thing I just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes sense. I mean, it's like, you know, we do have like Southern hospitality. It's like, well, that's a huge generalization, but generally speaking, there's a, there is a thing called Southern hospitality, you know, right. it's like, or like New York frankness, you know, it's like, you know, there's, there's, there's <laughs> that's a way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, there's something, there's something very like, uh, uh, nice about both those things. And there's also like, you know, things are not so good about it too. You know, it's like, but yeah, so there is, there is the generality of things that, that are helpful and useful, but but it's also a lot more than, than that too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, I will take the opportunity to pull, pull this into the analogy of the namesake of our podcast. Oh, there you go. go for it. <clears throat> well, we need to make generalizations because we need shorthand in which, in which to communicate and also a position to communicate from. I mean, this is the idea of the Island mm-hmm. and the island needs to be taken for granted to some extent. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be generalized. If we spend all of our time on the specifics of what constitutes the island, then we can't use the island for perhaps what we'd like to use it for, which would be to stand on it and explore what is beyond it. Mm-hmm. So you have to make the generalizations, but you, you then run the risk of being foolish in your generalizations. Mm. And what you have generalized can then, well, essentially attack you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't 
tend to the island, if you don't tend to your home, it crumbles and falls apart and becomes its own adversary. Hmm. I mean, I think that is, you know, I think we're living in a time where we say generalizations are bigoted. Perhaps, you know, and perhaps they are. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's the eternal sort of struggle of like, well, what do we know and what can we what can we safely know we know well enough to not have to be constantly saying that we know it? Mm-hmm. Because we literally don't have the time to do that and be productive and creative. Yeah. You know, things have to be able to be so well known and accepted that they fall below the need for articulation, such that we have room and bandwidth to engage in sort of new creative chaos mm-hmm. and progress. And this is why you have the right and the left politically, I think, is the right sort of fights and protects what is known and the left fights and protects the need to incorporate new, mm-hmm. the new into that. Yeah. So you have to kind of constantly be tending. It's like, so this is the idea of, of our show, which is that as the shores, what is it? As the <laughs> island of my knowledge expands, so do the shores of my ignorance. Yeah. We need the island to expand and incorporate um, but we also need things incorporated. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means part of the ocean has, or part of the island falls back into the ocean because it became too overgeneralized. It became too taken for granted. It became too out of date. It, it became an adversary on our own shore, mm-hmm. perhaps. And so we let it go yeah. and incorporate what is new to replace it and build something new. But it's a constant state of renewal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a living and breathing thing, the the island is. It's mm-hmm. like, it has to be tended to. It has to be kept kept up. Right. Also, we need to explore and to bring new things in and integrate them. Which is why I think uh, race in particular is such a, a difficult subject. Because, you know, I understand when people say, well, there's something wrong with the idea of, co- of, of colorblindness. Mm-hmm. When well, that makes sense. Because, you know, the color of your skin has some meaning to it. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should be overly quick to say what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is some meaning to it, so you can't ignore it. But it isn't the thing that defines you either. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like the two opposite extremes. It's either meaningless or it's everything. And no, both of those are wrong. Mm -hmm. And to strike some balance is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And it probably matters mostly at an individual level. And so how do you talk about that politically? Because politics really has nothing to do with the individual. Yeah. It becomes a dangerous game and it a is. contentious one. Yeah. I just love that. I really love our, the name of that yeah. <laughs> podcast. It's like, as my island of knowledge expands, so do the shores of my ignorance. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you and I couldn't have a useful discussion if we were always rehashing something and not have some grounds or basis that we've sort of built together too, you know? So there's certain, there's a certain Island that you and I have built together that we can use shorthand, you know, it's like, as we're talking and say, yeah, you remember that? Oh, that tweet. Oh, that tweet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Cool. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have to, we don't have to go back and like, read it and I show you be, and verify that that was an actual tweet. That, right. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, or if even like, yeah, if you have to spend all of your time 
building up the same points, then that's mm-hmm. all you'll ever do. Mm-hmm. If you have to spend all of your time establishing the island itself, then you you do that every day. It's like yeah. you want to wake up and be like, oh, it's still here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I still I can trust it. You know, but that's not going to serve you. Like you can't just do that either for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be constantly well going out to the shores and incorporating new information and 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 simultaneously tending to what you have previously learned and then incorporated and then taken for granted. Hmm. You need that. Yeah. But it can't last. Oh man, it just I mean that we were talking about earlier, like uh that picture of gravity I mean of the sun sitting like in the middle of a sheet mm-hmm. and that makes a little indention and like that kind of shows you what gravity looks like and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh well I was telling Matt this earlier, I want to say it again. Uh it's really fascinating the things that we take for granted around us, you know, like, you know, like gravity keeps us stuck to the, stuck to the earth, you know, and we're flying around this ball of sun. It's like, you know, it's like, or even Carl Sagan's, you know, famous, uh, like kind of poem, I guess they talks about the blue dot, you know, and it's just amazing. All the things that we kind of do take for granted, but sometimes we have to kind of open those things back up and expose ourselves Mm-hmm. to some things that are seem fairly simple, you know, I mean, everything from like, I've got blood going through my veins right now that my heart's pumping. I'm breathing this air that's providing oxygen and, you know, it's like, and removing CO2. And it's, it's just like, there, there, there's these things that like, where meditation comes into that we kind of need to like think about and be in that space of how amazing it is that we're even just alive, you know, or, or even functioning, you know, like we have garbage people that come by and get the garbage every day. It's like, thank you, garbage person. You know, it's like, I don't have stinky stuff on my porch. You know, it's like, I mean, maybe it's like the lights turn on. What the hell, you know, there would be some benefit in having some like agreed upon almost ritualized Hmm. time, maybe once a year or once a month to like, stop and notice the things that you don't have to notice, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I think that's again, reason why, like, uh, you know, coming back to the whole, you know, um, wrestling with God idea is that it's like, that was built into religions throughout the centuries. So you did have that sort of time that you focus on or have some sort of connection with something greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say like, sort of gravity is that kind of thing, something greater than myself that affects me every day that I don't even, <laughs> I don't even realize, but it kind of like, it's like a jump pops you out of your like, you know, minimal or <laughs> tiny existence, you know, it's like, <laughs> and, and starts opening your eyes to something greater and bigger. And I think, I think, I think that's just, it's important for us to have those things that, that draw us into the, the grander narrative, you know, the bigger story. The uh, the recent UFO revelations <laughs> did that for me a little bit. Yeah, that's a well. When you're talking, maybe think about it when you're talking about gravity, mm-hmm. because so there's that tic tac. Yeah. That uh, is it. Shaver, the, the the pilot, who apparently this thing has been seen multiple times by multiple different people. The the sightings are fairly well confirmed, and yeah. But what amazed me is that the reports. All of these people say that this thing, I don't know what the numbers are, but basically went from something like 5,000 miles to 80,000 miles 
in like a second, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like too fast to be tracked essentially. Hmm. And that break that not only breaks all of our laws of physics, but it's like, we don't know of any structures or material which could survive that amount of acceleration. Hmm. They would be completely destroyed. Yeah. So if it were to be true, mm-hmm. then what exactly is going on there? Hmm. And all of these things that we take for granted, like you said, gravity, like how often do you, you know, in a week think about gravity? <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, it's like uh, never. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. That's how taken for granted they are. But apparently, you know, again, if this were to be true, then we would have to think about gravity very differently. We'd have to think about acceleration very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really fun to think about. It really is. It's like we need we need those things to, to kind of break in and sh- it's like kind of we build these houses <clears throat> around us. It's like our conceptions of reality. You know, it's like and a lot of it's useful, like the island. You know, it's useful and it helps us function. But there's a there's this part that we see such a small fraction of reality. I mean, just take the light spectrum for example. You know, mm-hmm. everything from uh, 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 all the different waves. I'm, I'm blanking right now, but you know, radar and anyways, all the different li- wavelengths and stuff like that. Right. Well, like radio mm-hmm. waves are mm-hmm. on that spectrum. Yeah. We don't think about it that way. We think about radio as delivering sound, but yeah, it's on the same spectrum. <laughs> so I mean, it's just it's just absolutely it's absolutely mind boggling. And it's like, again, I think that's why even superhero and Marvel movies and comic books have been such a capture our imagination because here's some person that was just an ordinary person and their world gets turned upside down Mm -hmm. and now they see everything completely differently. Well, and what's so amazing about that is that it works in both directions. Hmm. It's not just their world gets turned upside down because they realize they have a power. Hmm. It also works when those who realize they have a power realize they no longer have it, Hmm. which I think is what makes the Thor story for me, one of the most compelling stories. Hmm. Like it's the movement in direction that seems to be so compelling to us Mm -hmm. and the discovery of self in that. Yeah. Well, I think that's also maybe like also happens when you age, you know, it's like when you've experienced the vigor of youth, (laughs) you know, and then as you, as you get older and you've, you, there's a certain amount, but I think you do gain, you gain other things, but you do, you do feel that sort of life force leaving you, you know? Mm. I mean, you can be active and all stuff, but everyone can agree that at 20 and 30 versus 60 and 70, <laughs> they don't function the same. You know, Usain Bolt yeah. might be still the fastest person in the world, but uh-huh. he's not running like he did in his 20s. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, but I think that's too, I mean, also, I mean, but again, I think our stories tell us so much is like most people don't realize how special or powerful they are without some sort of, pressure, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of contention that they have to encounter, whether willingly or unwillingly that awaken those sort of, those superpowers. Mm-hmm. And so kind of come back to the thing is like, if we, if we have everything that we need or we think that we need, it's like, do we become like Wally and sit in those chairs and become real fat? And <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's well, like what happens when we don't have anything to contend with? We just, yeah. do we just people, it seems like people give up. Like I, I want like retirement. I think that's the biggest lie that we've been fed over the last, you know, was it maybe 50, 60 years? You know, it's like, it's like retirement is not, it, it, 
people become disengaged and don't have any way to, or even like the breakdown of the family and that grandparents are not with their, their parents or with the kids and helping take care of the family. You know, it's like, I think there's something that young people kept older people young by having that engagement. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, I'm, I'm kind of speaking on my ass on that a little bit, but it does make sense to me. It's like, as you get older, you need, you need to be incorporated into society and be useful even to your Mm -hmm. dying days, you know? Yeah. We need to, we, well, I've been asking myself or, or playing with this question for a while, which is, you know, what would it be like to be the best version of yourself? Hmm. Who would you be if you were, the best you you could be mm-hmm. and how it's like what is best how how best is best how good is good how good could good be yeah and that was a that was a almost like a susian <laughs> I, I was like yeah that sounds very susian um <laughs> i mean i can't imagine a life better lived than to be trying to find out the answer to that question hmm. every day. And how do you do that? Well, it seems to me like you don't, well, obviously you don't know the answer to the question. Totally. Right. So the, the answer to the question lies in the unknown. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So if you're going to answer the question, you have to go into the unknown. You have to contend with what you don't know. You have to experience it. And, and in that space, there is adversity. There mm-hmm. is tension. There is contention. You are contending with all of that. So, okay. If you want to take a step toward answering the question, how good could good be? Mm-hmm. Seek out adversity. Seek out people that you can contend with. Seek out things that you could do which will fight you, which are hard, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and actually, it, we had talked about starting this conversation with this quote from Viktor Frankl, but I think this is the perfect place. Like, we, we arrived at it. <laughs> nice. Um, so in man, Man's Search for Meaning, he says, Ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather must recognize that it is he who is asked. And I think that's such a beautiful inversion, you know, how good could good be? Only you can answer that question. You know, it it isn't that there is an answer which asks of you to be it. Mm -hmm. It is that life is asking you, Mm. what's the best version of yourself? Show us. Yeah. It sounds like an adventure. So I mean, you think about being a father being a parent, being a husband, you know, it's like that question just magnifies in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I'll read that again. And we'll just end with that. I okay. want to like, I don't want to leave on my last comment. <laughs> last comment. <laughs> Ultimately man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather must recognize that it is he who is asked. That's why we're on the shores. Cheers. Cheers. See you guys. Love, Love you. Bye. Bye.